From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. Could a vaccine help people who are addicted to heroin? Upstate researchers are part of a team working to develop just such a vaccine. Here to tell us about it is physician scientist Dr. Stephen Thomas, a professor of medicine and of microbiology and immunology at Upstate. Welcome. Thanks. It's nice to be back. So this seems like a novel way of tackling the problem of heroin addiction. How would, how would it work? So the first thing I would say is that this is not a silver bullet uh, at all. Uh, it would be one tool among many other tools that would need to be uh, used by um, people with substance abuse disorders and the medical professionals who care for them uh, to get them into recovery and to help them uh, sustain recovery. So the idea of how it would work is that the immune system is very good at understanding what is foreign and what is not foreign, um, whether it's a bacteria or virus or something of that nature. And the scientists are trying to leverage the immune system um, to fight heroin addiction. And so the way that this would work is that um, when you inject heroin, the heroin gets metabolized in the body, and then the metabolite of heroin crosses what we call the blood-brain barrier, and people get high. And that's the reason they inject. They're trying to get that kind of psychoactive effect. What the scientists at the uh, Walter Reed Army Institute of Research and uh, the National Institutes on Drug Abuse have done is that they have developed a, um, uh, a protein uh, that is similar to in structure to the active metabolite of heroin. And so when you, and they've put that into a vaccine. And so when the individual gets vaccinated, the body recognizes this protein as foreign and says, I don't want this here. I'm going to develop an immune response against that so that the next time I see it, I can clean the body of it. So the theory would be you get vaccinated, you develop an immune response to this protein. And then let's say you were to use heroin sometime down the road, uh, you would inject heroin, it would get metabolized and the body would say, wait, I've seen this before and I know it's not supposed to be here. And it would send antibodies uh, to that metabolite, bind it, and now it can't cross the blood-brain barrier, and so you would not get the psychoactive effect of, uh, of the heroin. So it would take away um, the uh, incentive to uh, the high, basically. It would take that away from uh, uh, the equation. And, and again, so hopefully it would be one tool that could help people uh, either enter recovery or sustain, sustain their recovery. So you could potentially, you would you could still take heroin, but it wouldn't have an effect. Right. So that's the theory. Okay. And that's what the, what we call the preclinical. So that's what the, uh, the data in animals uh, seems to indicate. Is that how all vaccines work? Do that, do all vaccines like work on the immune system, setting it up so that it reacts to? Yeah. I mean, that's the principle of, of vaccinology is that uh, you can, again, leverage and harness uh, the power of the immune system and the ability of the body to recognize foreign versus non-foreign um, uh, to uh, um, either eliminate or mitigate the impact of, of that uh, pathogen or, in this case, the, uh, the toxin, really, um, with the heroin. So, and, and it's being leveraged. I mean, we haven't even started to truly understand in a comprehensive way, the power of the immune system. Um, and so we're starting to get there. And so all these immunotherapies that are being used by neurologists to treat multiple sclerosis, or, uh, I mean, a ton of work is being done in uh, cancer. Um, again, harnessing the immune system to go and fight um, uh, malignancies. 
so I think we're on the front end of this, uh, and it just makes sense that it would now be applied to, to substance abuse. Sounds like it. Now, would this work on people who've never tried heroin as well as people who maybe are already addicted to heroin? Yeah, so that's a good question, um, and we don't know. So we don't know until we actually do the the clinical studies. But I'll, you know, I've been asked this question before. I don't think that this is a vaccine. I don't think this will end up being a vaccine for people who do not have a substance abuse disorder, because you have to remember one of the one of the uh, uh, every vaccine has potential risks and potential benefits. And one of the potential risks of this vaccine, we don't know if it's a real risk, but it's a potential risk, is that it could not only prevent um, the effect of heroin, but it could prevent the effect of other opioids, opioids that are licensed by the FDA to be used in the management of pain. So for example, um, you know, if this cross-reacted with morphine and the vaccine works, then it's possible that that individual could never use morphine for pain relief. Now, there are plenty of other, um, you know, opioids and synthetic opioids that might work, but this is an ethical question that has to be, um, you know, that has to be discussed and deliberated. So, you know, that's a potential, that's a potential downside. But you know, the 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 scientists who have developed this vaccine candidate um, went through uh, great pains and did a lot of uh, due diligence on trying to make um, a compound that, or a vaccine that um, is very specific in in its effect and does not have uh, a lot of uh, a cross reactivity because we would like, um, you know, we would, we be, and we believe that this is the case that this vaccine would not interfere with the use of pharmacologic agents like, you know, Vivitrol or um, Suboxone or things that people are currently being using to try and um, uh, uh, help people get into recovery and sustain recovery. We don't want to eliminate those those options, and so. Um, you know, it's uh, it's it's funny. You know, it's a, a a couple paragraph article in a in a paper, but it 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 represents um, years and years of work that has already been that's already been done by the basic scientists. And uh, sure. yeah. So, do we? Uh, is there a speculation whether it provides immunity for life, or if it needs a booster years later? Yeah, that's a great question, um, and that'll only be answered by doing. Human studies, yeah. I mean, most uh, the way vaccinology sort of works uh, is that um, uh, typically what you'll do is when you'll establish uh, sort of proof of concept in animal studies, and then you the plan that you put in place and the plan that helped you define what worked in an animal study, you'll then carry over uh, into your initial human studies. But once you start doing those studies, the plan can change. And so it's possible that, uh, you know, what required four doses in a mouse may only require two doses in a human. And when, you know, what required no boosters in a mouse, you might have to give a booster in a human. But all of that will need to be um, defined in uh, the clinical development of of the vaccine. And, and, but what I can say is that, you know, the scientists at Walter Reed and NIDA, um, they are actively looking at those questions in, um, in the mice and in the rats. And so they have a, a preliminary idea of, uh, y- you know, the, of, of what the timeline might be for the duration of uh, quote unquote protection. 
uh, with the vaccine. You're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, talking with Dr. Stephen Thomas. He's a physician scientist at Upstate who is working on a heroin vaccine project. So where in the process of development is this right now? So if you want to put vaccine development into two different uh, phases, um, and these are big buckets, but one would be preclinical. So that would be the test tubes and beakers and uh, animal studies. Uh, and manufacturing of, of the vaccine. And then the other big bucket would be clinical development. So those are the studies in humans that, if you're uh, fortunate enough, ultimately lead to a license by, by the FDA. So we are still in the preclinical phase, but we believe that we're getting close to that transition point. And so um, the, the uh, Department of Defense, so the Walter Reed Army Institute of Research and the Henry M. Jackson Foundation, and SUNY Upstate applied to NIDA for a grant that uh, has is aligned with those two phases. And the grant that was awarded was the preclinical phase, and that would basically finish up some animal studies, manufacture the vaccine, uh, start the discussions with the FDA um, so that we can ensure that there is uh, uh, an objective group looking at um, the information and they can provide us the uh, approval to go ahead and start testing uh, testing in humans. And the hope is that that transition will occur sometime in 2020. Oh, it's pretty soon. Yeah, I mean, in the world of vaccine development, uh, we deal in years, we don't really deal in uh, in, in months. Um, and so, yeah, to, to, have, uh, to have a first in human clinical trial, uh, you know, 18 months away, um, we're we are planning we're actively planning now and planning for success so in the mice that it's being tested in now have you learned anything does has it been proven safe in the mice or have you seen anything so far that is significant yeah so um so it's mice and rats and if if the vaccine candidate is not demonstrated to be safe in in those uh um, animal models then it it'll never see the light of day. <laughs> it'll never even get even close to, to human testing. So, so that's kind of uh, the fact that we're having this conversation. It's kind of a given that it was, uh, that there were, there was no, there were no safety signals that were apparent in those animal, animal studies in terms of its effects. So yes, they do uh, the types of studies that they do is they will, they will vaccinate the mice and rats. They will um, draw small blood samples. They will look to see if those mice and rats developed an immune response to the vaccine, which they have. Then they'll do, um, and then they'll uh, take, uh, they'll do what they call challenge studies. So they'll take heroin um, and um, show those mice and rats uh, heroin. And, and then they will measure different endpoints to see whether the vaccine group is different from the placebo group. In terms of behaviors uh, and how they respond to the uh, the challenge of of heroin, and so the data thus far shows that uh, yes, in fact, there is a difference between those two groups. There is an immune response difference between those two groups, and it is building the case for um, it's that it's time to transition this to uh, uh, to human uh, human testing. So what you just described with the mice and rats, is that how it would be done in humans if you do a trial here at Upstate? Yeah, so that's another that's another great question. Uh, you know, there are a lot of ethical issues that are sure. still out there surrounding this. And um, there have been groups that have been working on vaccines for, uh, you know, um, nicotine addiction and Oxycontin addiction and cocaine and heroin and, and other things. But 
it's still a relatively young field. And so there's still a lot of questions out there that require what I'd call, uh, uh, it's not my term, but uh, uh, you know, democratic deliberation, right? There needs to be an open conversation with various perspectives and various groups talking about, about this. So to get to your question specifically, do we intend to challenge humans with heroin after they've been vaccinated? Uh, the answer is no, <laughs> I don't intend uh, uh, to do that. But there are other there are other options. In the end, what will have to happen is we will make a proposal to the FDA. We will make a proposal to the independent ethical review committees, and we will let objective, non-involved groups who are expert in reviewing these sorts of issues uh, take a look at it and and tell us what uh, you know what they think. Because ultimately, you need to be able to prove that it works. Right. No, that's exactly right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's the the FDA. They license, uh, you know, they license vaccines that are safe and that um, have a clinical benefit and do what they're supposed to do. And how we prove that this vaccine will um, help people with substance abuse either enter or sustain recovery, um, I don't think that that plan has been finalized yet. And, um, you know, we have a lot of great ideas about how we could do that. Um, Because the other element is we want to, we want to proceed as quickly as possible because, um, you know, we're on the, I I think we're on the front end of the opioid epidemic. I don't, certainly in the central New York region, in Syracuse, in central New York, uh, but as a nation, I think we're on the front end of this. I don't think we have reached the peak because it already uh, seems like a crisis now. Oh, it is absolutely a crisis. It was, uh, you know, a slight tangent, um, you know, because we've spoken before. I came from the Army. So, you know, I was uh, in the Army for 20 years, and I came here two years ago. And that was the single most shocking thing to me was that, you know, 10, 15, 20% of my uh, patients, the people that I was seeing in the hospital, were young people, 20 to 40 years old, who had horrible uh, infectious disease complications of of substance abuse, and I did not have that experience, uh, you know, down at uh, down at Walter Reed. So uh, it was shocking to me, and I, it and you know, my observation, but I, I think my colleagues would agree, um, it's not getting better. It's not. It's getting worse, and the numbers are increasing and not uh, and not going down. So, so I think that there's a sense of urgency. Certainly, regionally, there's a sense of urgency, but nationally, there is a sense of. Uh, uh, of urgency to try and get a di- as many tools as possible out there uh, um, to see if we can uh, see if we can change the epidemic curve on on this problem. So let's fast forward and take a huge assumption that this works as you expect mm-hmm. and that it that it's that it's effective. How do you decide who gets it? Would it become? Would you envision that it would become one of the childhood immunizations, or do you have to be more selective? Because you mentioned this is for people with substance abuse disorder, mm-hmm. and we don't necessarily know who that is at uh, birth anyway, right? Right, yeah. So, I mean, the short answer is I don't know yet who would most benefit from uh, from the vaccine. We, we make assumptions. We make educated guesses about who this might best benefit, um, and we use the basic science information that we generate. We use the animal data that we generate. We use the human testing data that we generate. Um, And ultimately, we would go to the FDA and we would say, we believe that this vaccine is safe and has a clinical benefit 
in this population. And here is the data to support that. And the FDA will look at that and say, we agree with you. Um, and you'll get an indication. You'll get what they call a label that ba- that gives you the left and right limits of whom you should use this vaccine, uh, you know, what populations you should use the vaccine. So I don't, you know, my opinion right now, but again, it could change. We haven't even entered clinical trials yet. But my opinion right now is that this is not a vaccine for people who do not have a substance abuse uh, disorder. I do not believe that this is a um, a prophylactic uh, vaccine at this point. I believe that this is a vaccine for people that have demonstrated that they have a substance abuse issue, um, that it's specific uh, to heroin, and that it would be a tool to help people enter recovery or sustain recovery because it would take off the table um, the effect that they get from, you know, from injecting uh, heroin. The I don't think the tool would work without um, being linked up with a psychiatrist or a psychologist. Uh, it probably it may or may not be um, effective without uh, pharmacologic therapy. Uh, at at some point uh, in the process, it would not be effective probably without the support of um, groups like Narcotics Anonymous or AA or other support groups. Um, yeah. So again, I think it's, it is a tool uh, that will be in a larger toolbox, but it could be a very, um, a very powerful, powerful tool. But I, I think it, it's, it's not going to be a routine childhood immunization. It's right. It's going to be uh, more targeted. It, for- yeah. Yeah. I think it'll be, I think it'll be targeted um, to people that have already declared themselves as having, uh, you know, having this disease. So if it were to work for heroin, how easy is it to tweak it to work for other addictive substances or mm-hmm. practices? Yeah, yeah, no, that's a great question. So, um, and that's kind of a, that's a relatively recent trend in vaccine development in general is trying to develop what they call platform technologies. So uh, things that can be, things that can be plug and play, for example. So if you imagine a, you know, a two, a two prong uh, electrical outlet that has a USB port, Anything that has a U that can be connected to a USB port could be charged by that device, sure. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, could be a phone, could be an iPad, it could be uh, whatever. And so these platform technologies are trying are would basically be the two prong outlet with the USB port, and and in this case, and and so this is um, what we believe, uh, and and this was the goal originally of the of the Walter Reed and NIDA um, scientists was to create the platform, and then heroin was the first. Um, you know, was the first uh, um, pathogen, if you will, that they're that they're putting on this platform. But yes, the idea would be that you could plug and play other things, fentanyl, heroin, uh, oxycontin. I mean, other things, because you know, one of the things that people, another reason why this would just be a tool and not a silver bullet is a lot of people who have substance abuse disorders, they really have poly substance abuse disorders. So they have alcohol dependence. They might have uh, cocaine dependence, along with heroin, along with other you know, other things. So, um, yeah, so the, you know, hopefully the idea would be, and there are other groups that NIDA has funded to work on some of these other, these other problems. Um, so at some point, you know, maybe we start doing polyvalent, uh, substance abuse vaccines. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Maybe, maybe someday we'll get to that point, but there are folks out there that don't think that this, (laughs) that the vaccine against heroin could actually make, um, a dent, but, if 
you know, if if this is safe and it does what it's supposed to do and it helps 10% of the people who are addicted to heroin, just because the denominator is so large and getting larger, I think that it would have a huge public health uh, impact. So why did you get involved with this project? So, you know, sometimes people ask, you know, what, as I mentioned, I came from the military. We didn't really have this as a problem, at least in the patient population that I saw. And so they asked me, you know, what, what is the most surprising thing to you about this uh, epidemic? And, and one of the things that surprises me most is, uh, and, and I fell into this category as well, um, is that the assumptions people make and the biases that people have um, about uh, addiction and specifically heroin addiction. And so everyone, if you, if you were to say, close your eyes and think about a heroin addict, you would have a specific image. People who made really bad life decisions and people who uh, yeah, are unemployed and people that have come, in, you know, come from broken homes. And, and you know, the, all these patients that I see, uh, you know, I talk to them and I ask them about how did you get here, right? And these are folks that ha- come from all races, all religions, all socioeconomic backgrounds. They come from intact homes with highly educated, highly successful parents. They come from broken homes. They come from people who, yeah, they may have made bad decisions and transitioned from, you know, uh, alcohol to uh, uh, marijuana to other uh, substances. But they also are folks that uh, maybe had a traumatic event in their life. They were prescribed a lot of opioids by their physician, and then they were cut off. And so I, I just, uh, that has been one of the very kind of humbling lessons to me as a, as a physician. And one of the reasons I'm you know, passionate about this project uh, is that I still don't think people understand um, that this is everybody's problem. This could uh, be them. Absolutely. And, you know, if you walked into your office or classroom or school or community center or church and everyone was going to be honest for a second and you said, I want everyone, anyone who's been impacted by this problem, raise your hand. I think people would be in awe. I think they would look around and say, no, not not you. You don't fit <laughs> my biased view of what a, mm-hmm. you know, of what a person is. And I think that when I talk to patients who have ended up in the hospital now with these um, life-threatening, uh, life-threatening infections in many cases, um, that uh, it contributes to their sense of, uh, I don't know, lack of worth. It contributes to their sense of, of helplessness, of self-loathing, of all these things, which is sort of not the position you want to be in when you're about to confront a huge issue, you know, uh, in your life. And so um, I'm just hoping that your listeners <laughs> will will maybe think about it a little bit more, and um, and I hope that and you know the people that I work with, physicians and nurses and everybody else, I hope that they will start thinking a little bit uh, a little bit differently and not not think they are so remote uh, from this problem because because they're not. Well, it's very exciting research, and I appreciate you talking about it, and I hope that you'll come back when we're closer to clinical trials here in Syracuse one day. Absolutely. My guest has been physician scientist Dr. Stephen Thomas, a professor of medicine and microbiology and immunology at Upstate. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.